What's up and welcome back to the Dream Mason podcast. I'm your host, Alex Terranova. I am a Dream Mason, a performance coach. I work with strong and successful people to boldly declare what they want, get real about what's in the way, and create the strategy and the steps for more clarity, freedom, and success in their life. Together, we get things done faster, raise the bar on your goals, improve your relationships, and get crystal clear on what you really want. Now, if you haven't already, please support me and this podcast by subscribing on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, TuneIn, or YouTube, and please leave a review on iTunes. Follow me, Inspirational Alex, on Instagram, and share this podcast with a friend. Now, a dream mason is a person who is brave enough to declare they have a dream and committed enough to do the work to build it. Now, I know we all have a dream mason inside of us, and my dream for this podcast is to support us by giving us a glimpse inside the hearts and minds of leaders, creators, and innovators to help us unleash our inner dream mason. Because your dreams don't build themselves. I wanna give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Accomplishment Coaching. I won't let anyone sponsor this show, but I've personally done Accomplishment Coaching, their year-long life leadership training program, and it changed my life completely. Besides giving me a new career, it supported me to improve my relationships with my family, my friends, make the most money I've ever made, find more joy, and overall live a much more powerful life. So if you're interested in coaching, transformational work, or leadership training, Accomplishment Coaching is definitely the world's finest training program. Let's get into this episode. Welcome back to the Dream Mason podcast. I am your host, Alex Terranova. And today, sitting in front of a Jackson Pollock, it's not actually a Jackson Pollock, but it looks like one, uh, it's her mom's. Uh, my guest is Eva Minkoff. Eva is, we should say your mom's name. I mean, she's the, I'm talking about her painting. What's her, what's, what's your mom's name? <laughs> Audrey Reichenberg. So that's a long one. Maybe you could put it in the show notes. <laughs> when Audrey listens to this, she's, uh, this is her big shout out as an artist. <laughs> You're fabulous, Mama. You're fabulous. <laughs> um, Eva is the founder of Wellacopia. She is also a professional trained ballerina and dancer. She's a nutrition scientist, and she used to have a business as a nutrition in, in nutrition and fitness consulting. Um, you're also the co-host of a podcast, which is a really cool name, Invisible Not Broken Podcast. Thanks for being here on the Dream Mason podcast. Thank you so much. It really is a pleasure to be here. Tell us, uh, just so people can get a really quick idea, um, what is Wellacopia and how, are, how did you create it? Wellacopia helps people with chronic illnesses find their most compatible practitioner match, uh, whether that be medical or wellness professional. The, the thought behind it is that if you have a better relationship with your health practitioner, that you're more likely to have better healthcare outcomes because you trust them and you're going to tell them more and they're going to feel more comfortable with you and vice versa. And this came about because I have a few chronic illnesses. I have fibromyalgia and hypermobility syndrome, if anyone's familiar with those. Uh, and even as a nutritionist, I saw the need on both sides for uh, patients and practitioners to have a better connection rather than just being like cars and mechanics. Uh, 
So in short, Wellacopia is like a dating app for patients and practitioners. <laughs> That's really the best way to understand how it works. Are there other, I, have, I don't have any idea, are there other programs or services like this? No, there is not. Okay. I, I'm surprised, to be honest. <laughs> I, mm. uh, I'm glad that we don't have direct competition that way, but at the same time, I built it because I was looking for a better way to find the right practitioner, not just someone with like a good rating and was in my insurance or neighborhood. Well, well, that's a great, like, that makes me wonder, like, what is a great practitioner outside of a rating or neighborhood? Like, how do you, how, how do you quantify that? That's a very good question. So we look into more details on conditions, of course, uh, but we go way further than that by asking questions on preferences and approach to care. Like, how do you actually like the dynamic to be in the room? Do you want them to be really straightforward? and analytical or do you want them to ask you questions outside of your condition like tell me about what's going on in your life right now so that would be my way but then i know a lot of people who are like i just want who someone who's smart fast and gets to it and then there's also this is really a dating app right it's doctors i don't put it on the website because <laughs> it might sound weird but whenever someone asks me how does it work i say it really is just like a dating app, but like OkCupid or Match.com, not Tinder or any of the swipey kinds. Don't get the swipe. That, that took all the fun out. I was sitting here, I'm like, wait, can I swipe through doctors? <laughs> In fact, actually, both sides are anonymized because it is a two-way matching platform. Like, practitioners can reach out to you as well. Um, mm -hmm. You're anonymous, but you both see each other's match. Like, you both see if you're 92% and your matching criteria, so there's complete transparency. And that, to be frank, is like a really great marketing uh, tool for practitioners because they can see people that are best for them as well. But uh, you know, I want everything about Wellacopia to be real and raw, transparent. Uh, there is nothing up our sleeve. I built this for, built this for myself. <laughs> I built this um, for my community and um, it's gonna stay that way. How did you, how do you even get here, right? Cause I know you said that you, you know, you, you, you're living with some of the, some issues basically that affect your health. And there are things that, you know, I love the idea that like you can't even see them, right? Like you look like a perfectly healthy human being. Um, and so your podcast is like a perfect name um, cause it's, and it's such a relevant thing in our society or in our world right now. But how do you go from, where were you before Wellacopia? Before Wellacopia, so I guess we're gonna backtrack rather than go forward. Yeah, let's go back for a second. Backtracking would be, I had a Bria Body, which was this um, consulting for new moms, nutrition and fitness. Uh, before that, I was a nutrition scientist. I got a master's in Israel. Great place to do scientific research, by the way. Uh, and then I, in my past, I've also worked in like so many areas in healthcare, like um, clinical research, laboratory research, worked in doctor's offices, healthcare startups. Uh, I was pre-med, like, I don't know, there's a bunch of other things, but I was dabbling in all these areas in healthcare and uh, my entrepreneurial nature took over me <laughs> and I decided I wanted to create something for myself um, and it, that was also a pain point for others. So, I mean, that's a really long story package deal of how I came to this. 
Um, but I, I actually, there is another a part of it. So Wellacopia is like a dating site, right? Uh, I met my husband on OkCupid. And therefore, while I was uh, using OkCupid, I was also using um, another uh, platform in New York called ZocDoc, which helps you find doctors, but again, not in a personalized way. But I saw the merit. So I decided to take ZocDoc and OkCupid and put them together. Uh, and luckily, I also did find my husband at the same time, who is <laughs> amazing, supportive man. Also just happens to be a pediatrician. Nice perk that wasn't expecting. <laughs> so then, it, so you basically had experience in the wellness or medical, you know, or healthcare industries in these different areas, but you didn't have a background in technology. No, I am not a techie by any means. But you're running a tech company. That is true. And uh, I was definitely naive uh, at first. But uh, now I really do feel like a, a, a tech co-founder. And speaking of co-founder, I do have a tech co-founder. I have a CTO named Marius who lives in Romania. And I created everything and he built everything. Uh, he is my savior and my professional husband, as we call him. That's awesome. So how do you, like, what you're, the story you're telling is, so you needed something for yourself. You saw an opportunity in the market. You saw a gap between multiple things that had had pieces of the puzzle, but kind of weren't the puzzle, like all put together. Um, but then how do you go from, you know, leaving, a, a, I want to say, one, one type of work and jumping into a completely different type of work? How did you make that, that you know, leap of faith? Oh, well, it was a discouraged leap of faith. I'll definitely say that. And I bet that's true for a lot of entrepreneurs. So if we're going to go way back, when I was eight years old, I wrote my first, I'm going to do air quotes, business plan. Uh, and that's never really stopped. I've always come up with business ideas and, and drafted plans and designed things. Even when I was pre-med and in my graduate degree, I always had two notebooks. I had one that was my notes for the class and then the other one, which was ideas. So... It, it was like, I, I couldn't help it. I really felt like I didn't have a choice. And my parents who are phenomenal, um, don't really get it because they are very successful in corporate America. So they're all about stability and, you know, going through the steps that are somewhat paved for you. And here I am, uh, someone Thankfully, they consider to be very smart and nice. And I, they're like, you could get so far in corporate America. I appreciate that. Uh, but it just isn't my nature. I'm creative and I'm a dreamer. Uh, and I don't think that's a bad thing. So I went against the grain and uh, decided to start my own business. The first one being Bria Body, but now a, a much larger one, a uh, tech startup. And then I, I know, you know, I, we talked about before this, we've talked about like the hurdles, you know, your own personal struggles. What, is, what have you had to overcome specifically around being an entrepreneur and a, and a business owner in relationship to your, you know, your health or your well-being issues? Well, there are a, a number of them. I will say that 
my family not being supportive, not of me as a person, but my career was a problem. And I mean, even on my health and well-being, it was very, very stressful because I love my, and respect my family so much. Uh, I, I know that I definitely had flare-ups, I think, when we got into arguments. And what helped me get past that was keeping in mind that they were doing it out of love. They weren't doing it to be mean and drive me crazy. They were trying to get me to see the light on the other side because they love me and they want me to be safe um, and uh, you know, just have everything parents want their child to have. Uh, so I, especially cause I lived with them for like a little while in transition, it, it was a difficult time. And I've definitely noticed that I had more, yeah, more flare-ups, joint pain, uh, some insomnia. And the way I really conquered that, I, I truly think was a mindset shift. That this is out of love and it's okay if they don't understand because they're different people. They grew up with different values, uh, a different perspective, and it's all good. So I just so kind of listened, like I would listen yeah. to what they had to say and, and see what I could take from it. And if there wasn't some, there was something I didn't agree with, I just left it. So I hear like acceptance, like you accepted them for who they were and that their opinions were just their opinions. And that ultimately at the, you had to step, it's like you had to step further out to go, Hey, even if it seems like they're not supporting me, they're actually coming from love. Yeah. That was a really important distinction. It wasn't like a, it was a mindset shift, but I can't say it was immediate, right? Like I definitely had to, to consciously keep it in mind. They just love me. They just love me. It's okay. Don't get riled up. I think it's, I mean, I, I think what you're saying is like so relevant to almost everyone all the time. Like even if we think it's, it might not always be love, but everybody's always thinking that they're doing the best thing. Nobody actually, I said this with a client yesterday, a client was sharing a story with me and I went, let's just be real because your parents never had a day in their life where they woke up and said, oh, I'm going to be the worst parent today. I'm going <laughs> to like blow this parenting thing so good and give my kid a complex. And no boss ever woke up and went, I'm going to be the worst boss today. Like, I'm just going to be horrible and I'm going to make all my employees hate me. I don't think any, I don't even think like dictators, like, I don't even think people that most people would think of as bad or negative even think that. I think that they wake up and they're doing what they know and they're doing the best that they think they can. Now, their perception of what they want to achieve might be very skewed compared to other people's, but they see it as the right path or the right direction. Um, I completely agree with that. And uh, it is hard to tell people. I feel like I don't always convey that the right way. Like when I was younger, I remember giving the example of Hitler and I'm Jewish uh, in like a room full of Jews. And so it was very awkward. <laughs> and I said, I am not condoning anything. I love us saying this on a podcast. I'm not yep. condoning anything. Obviously my family are survivors. It's just, if you think about it, it's interesting how in his mind, that was the right thing to do. So mm -hmm. he was doing the best he could in his mind. Just mm -hmm. screwed up, but that was, 
It is. And that's why how people are motivated to do anything. Mm -hmm. And when, look, in the old, I don't, it wasn't even that long ago where people had mental issues and we lobotomized them. Like yeah. that was probably only in the last 200 years, you know, that we actually cut out people's and we, and doctors thought they were doing the right thing. You know, there's, we could find tons of stories, right? And nobody's, let's be super clear. No, we're not condoning Hitler or but <laughs> nobody woke, he, he nor anybody else woke up and said, I'm going to go mess up the world. Like that's just not, nobody's thinking like that even though it might sometimes seem like it. And I think it brings, if we bring it back to like a local level, if we could all see our coworkers, our bosses, our parents, the people driving next to us on the street, right? Think about road rage. Nobody's like, ooh, I'm gonna drive like a maniac and piss everyone off. No, maybe, maybe people do momentarily, but I would say generally speaking, I think people might sometimes have little moments where they're like, I just wanna make this person mad. But generally, that is not how people are driven on a daily basis. Yes. Like as a revenge, like, ooh, they did something to me, so I'm going to, like, yeah, I'm going to have that. But overall, day to day. But it's a great point. I've done, it's cool that you mention it, because I've, I've done a lot of that, like, in relationships, where I think about, hey, they're, there's somewhere in there that they, they're coming from love, or they think they're doing the right thing, even though it doesn't always come out that way. And it changes the way we hear people and react back to them. What's your, um, you know, I know we talked about this a little. You have, we met because you have a, um, your coach is a, is a friend and colleague of mine. So I'm really curious to hear, you know, how taking on a coach, like, has supported this. Uh, like your journey, your business. My coach, if I'm allowed to say her name, Lisa. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, she is a godsend. Uh, really, I attribute a lot of my transformation um, to Lisa. I mean, I know that I had to do the work. I attribute any success I have right now to my work with Lisa because she gave me a new perspective on the world. The first time I came to her, uh, I... <laughs> I was so self-aware at that time. I had gone through like three years of um, introspective work and really getting to know myself because I had this like epiphany when I was 23 that I didn't know or like myself. And I was shocked because I've been writing a diary since I was 11. I was like, how do I not know myself? I've been writing about myself for years. Uh, so, and in between then, and meeting Lisa, I went through this whole period of self-reflection. So I meet Lisa, and our first appointment, I say, I'm this, 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 and this. Now what? And she goes, do you want to be those things? And I was flabbergasted. I didn't, I didn't think that's where this was going to go. I thought we were just going to learn more about me and um, maybe establish how to deal with those things, but not transform form those things like my um i guess greatest negative quality or unhelpful quality uh that has interrupted my life is that i'm very impulsive uh and i guess luckily because i have a decent head on my shoulders i've never done anything like really crazy but uh yes impulsivity has been an issue and i remember telling lisa that with almost confidence like, good for me, I figured that out. 
And now I'm learning how to deal with it. And she made me see that that's not a way I need to be. Mm -hmm. So I could, I could talk about so many things uh, that she's done for me. Um, well, what I, what I hear you kind of saying in, in just like you're sharing here is, the, um, is really the value of, it sounds like you did know an aspect of yourself really well. And it probably was working really well for you in, in certain areas of life. And, you know, as a coach, like, I, I'm sure I know where this went. We're like, hey, and the way I would say it for the audience is like, you just box yourself in, right? If you think that you are impulsive or if you think you're an introvert or if you think that you're really good with people in big social settings, where is that actually not working for you? Where are you so like convinced that that's the way it is that you're not able to see it from a different place? Or try to a different way of being. Um, is yeah, that you're, kind of you're spot on. That's, that's exactly what it was. I definitely boxed myself because that way I could digest it and I could actually, I felt like more in control of what I was doing because I understood what was motivating me. But then it was except that was another form of acceptance. It was okay. I'm this way and it's fine. I'm going just to try and, make it all as positive as possible. Like, how can I look at it, impulsivity as positive? Because there are ways. Um, I'm very exciting. I'm not a boring person, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I didn't feel like I could break out of that box. Just, I am, right? Yeah, and how does this play into, one of the things that you shared with me was like one of your keys to success is, or, or keys to success had been, um, take serious shortcuts. And like that had actually would lead you to success. I, I must have misunderstood a teaching from my parents. <laughs> I definitely misunderstood this and a couple other things. Won't get into those right now. Uh, so I definitely don't blame them. But I think I mixed up sh taking shortcuts, uh, shortcuts and working hard and versus smart. I thought working smart meant shortcuts. Mm. Um, or what was, what did I say? Working, whatever it is, working hard versus, what does this say? Don't work hard, work, work smart. Smarter. Yeah, it's work smarter, not harder. Yes, I see. Okay, so shortcuts. Uh, so this is where I feel like I have to watch myself because uh, it's really hard to admit certain things that I've done, uh, certain shortcuts I've taken in life because they take on a lot of forms, shortcuts. Uh, but definitely in school, something I would do is I never wanted to plagiarize. So I would take someone's original work first that was published and then I'd basically rewrite it. But so I had a framework, right? And I saw that as a shortcut. Truth is that took actually longer than writing something a lot of the time. Uh, but I just felt like I could take from other people's uh, work and then somehow make it my own. Um, and I learned from that, but I, I don't think I learned as much as I could if I did things from scratch. Well, so. it's actually like, it's not, I want to, it sounds like a cool strategy in the sense of, look, this is what you've done with your business too. Wellacopia is a combination of things that other people have done before you that you've taken what works about what they've done and created something new from it, I mean, right? That, that, is a, that is a good point. I guess when I think about these academic shortcuts uh, when I was younger, it didn't feel that way. 
it didn't feel creative. It really felt like regurgitating what someone else said and not truly digesting what I was supposed to be learning from it. Well, that's pretty much, I mean, that's, we might even just say that's like the educational system we've created is actually about regurgitation and not about active, creative, conscious thinking, right? I just, yeah. I just saw this thing the other day that it's like more important in school right now that people be able to show you how they did the problem than actually get the right answer. Mm-hmm. Like that, but the way that you have to go through the math problems is like a certain way. And it was like, that's great to like, as a way to maybe teach somebody something, but it's also a box, right? If we have to do a specific process, then we never get any innovation or any creativity because we're always getting to uh, from point A to point B with the exact same steps. Right. And yeah, I, I can't, it's funny that I took so many shortcuts that weren't creative uh, because I can't live without creativity. I think maybe one of the reasons was that I wanted to get to creative other, uh, other creative work. So I would take these shortcuts and, and get to those faster. Then again, more in terms of my business, I did used to take a lot of shortcuts that were creative and not based on um, logic or really fact. And what I mean by that is user testing. You, before you build something, you have to make sure people want it and then want exactly how you're going to do it. So it became very clear, very fast, and obviously it stayed true, that our mission of Wellacopia and helping people find the right practitioner uh, is, is something people want and care about. But I went on my own intuition for too long uh, and just getting like little bits of feedback and then built out this whole platform with Marius, when the truth is we should have been doing way more testing but I was impulsive and I wanted to take shortcuts and I was like, I want to get it out there and see what happens. Uh, and we are where we are today and it's a great place to be. We probably wouldn't be where we are if we didn't learn everything, but we definitely took longer because I tried to take shortcuts. I fully admit that. Uh, so because my brain could go anywhere with creativity, I was just like, I'm going to run off of my creativity, what my brain thinks is right, and not really ask other people. That was the wrong thing to do. <laughs> well, this yeah. is my two cents for entrepreneurs. <laughs> Definitely do your user testing and customer discovery experience stuff. What I think is, what, what I think is cool about the whole thing is like you, you have this strength that has you like get from point A to point Z as fast as possible. That's the shortcut thing. Like the, the idea is that it will get you there. And then what you're learning is that, hey, it doesn't always work. But what's available because you've done it is, hey, you built this company, whether it's faster or slower, who knows, because it only happened the way it happened and we don't know how it would have happened a different way. But you created action because you were on, there's, there's other people out there who would have just been like, we need to figure out everything before we get started. Or we'll never launch because we need to test it 5 billion times. And neither way is right or wrong. What I, what I love about what you're, how you're sharing it is like, you did it one way. And hey, maybe sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't, but there's also there's other ways available. And you're seeing the positives and negatives of both or the benefits and the consequences maybe. Yeah, that's very true. Like a lot of people have the issue with staying put, the, the opposite issue of, of, mm -hmm. of what I deal with all the time. Um, Actually, another example of shortcuts, um, possibly another 
opposite experience to other people is that I switch jobs a lot. One of the reasons I'm so experienced at my age before even building a startup is because I change jobs all the time. Because I thought if I stayed at a job for three months or six months, I got all the onboarding. Like I learned everything I needed to know about that job, right? It was just how long do you want to be there to really soak it in? But the most immediate things one needs for a job, you learn in the first few months. And I'm not trying to encourage anyone to leave jobs really soon. Um, but I, after three months or however long, um, I was like, okay, this isn't really for me, but I gained these skills and I would move on. It did turn out to be a positive thing for me because I did see so much of the healthcare industry, so many different um, corners of the healthcare industry that allowed me uh, to build what I've built today and understand all these different areas, at least enough to build this. Um, but the whole idea of skipping around jobs because I was like, oh, it's not a good fit and I would give the excuse, right? But I didn't have resilience. And that's something I realized. So I took shortcuts that I didn't have resilience. I got uncomfortable and didn't like it and moved on and gave the excuse that it wasn't the right thing. And it probably wasn't the right thing, but it was definitely more in the um, uh, a, a fear mentality or like, um, you know, I can't handle this. It was not from a good place. Well, let's look at it like where it is from a, like a place where you're not doing that, you know, and we talked a little bit about you and I, when we've connected before about what it's like to be, you know, a female founder, right? Like this, a female founder in a predominantly male, male dominated world. Um, what, what, what's motivating about that position, but what's also challenging about it? Mm. All right. So being a female, uh, I'll say specifically health tech founder. I mean, this is true for all female founders or even business owners, but the tech world, the health tech world, it really is mostly men, which is surprising given that women are usually known as caretakers. I'm surprised we, there aren't more of us in healthcare, honestly. Uh, so I thrive in a group of men. I grew up with a bunch of really highly intelligent men. Uh, so I was used to being in that atmosphere, but as I was also used to them respecting me and uh, I guess treating me really, really nicely, which is probably why I stuck around. Cause let's be honest, I was like, I was like this really outgoing ballet dancer and I wanted to hang out with the nerds and I love them. I love them to death, but it wasn't, I thought going into this, that it would be a similar situation where I'd have all these group of guys and I'd be able to relate to them the same way as I did my friends. And this is just a, it's a whole different ball game. Uh, so instead I kind of flipped from being uh, this confidant and um, I guess fresh perspective for these, I call them nerds with only love, by the way. Uh, <laughs> uh, these these wonderful soft-hearted men to these sharks and these these tech sharks and they just wanted to eat me alive any chance they could they would they would say they would actually it wasn't even things they said it's the way they would talk to me they would say like sweetie for instance they um 
would ask me questions that weren't really about potential for success. I felt like their actual interest in the business wasn't really there uh, until they really put on their, what do teachers say? They're listening. I don't remember. Until they really were actively listening. So I decided that in order to really get in front of these men and have them respect me was to have this fuck you mentality. Here I am, this woman in health tech, I have an incredibly unique product that is going to change this industry and health outcomes from a way that no man looks at. Men don't look at relationships. And by the way, I'm saying this generally speaking, and actually I've been told this. I went to um, a health startup um, conference in Nashville and a number of people, first of all, thought that one of my partners with me, who's a man, was the, the founder, not myself. And also a couple people expressed that they don't think a man would have come up with this idea, even though it has a lot of potential and it's a great one. So it, it's just really amazing how undermined women are in this industry, even though we have a serious strength in being women. Men and women are different for the most part. Like we have different strengths and weaknesses. We're really going to generalize here. Women are great caretakers. And for that reason, I was able to look at the doctor-patient relationship as a human relationship. The fact that maybe only a woman would have come up with this idea is a strength, not a weakness. And that's something I've really put at the forefront of my presentations when it comes to speaking with men, whether that be in a crowd or one-on-one. -on -one. It's like me being a woman is an asset. And you better know that. Also, there is, there, there, I won't lie, there is one other thing I do. And people can take this or leave this, but I do dress a certain way. I make sure that I'm not provocative, but at the same time, I'm also not homely and boring. I will... There, there's a really good sweet spot. So when I present, I have a few dresses that, again, do not like show off anything too much, but they make me look nice and they're a bright color, like a solid color, very sharp, because sometimes I feel like I have to say, look at me, I'm big, I'm bold, and I'm here. Our presentation is in our words, but also how we look. It's true. Can't help it. Yeah, what I what I what I'm getting a lot too is just in the in the clothing or the presentation is just taking responsibility for it, like actually taking responsibility for who you are, what you look like, how you show up as, what you're wearing, um, versus I wore this thing and people thought this. Like, no, I'm gonna actually decide what they think. Like, I'm gonna and people are gonna think whatever they want, right? But but I'm going to I'm gonna set it up in a certain way powerfully um and I, yeah i think thanks for saying like everything that you were saying before is like very generalized right like who knows man woman come up with it but i think the point is like as men and women or as masculine and feminine we have different strengths like and and everybody does and whether you're a man a woman or something else like something in between or something else or identify as something else the way you were brought up the way you've lived gives you things that other people don't have 
So I think what I get from you is, hey, there's this connected relationshipness that's super important that was missing in the doctor field. And because of your experience as a woman, it's an important thing. And so it gave you a strength to bring it to that. Um, it, gave, it, it let you see something that like, you know, look, when I'm at a doctor's office, I'm like, dude, can I get in and out of this place as fast as possible? Just tell me that I'm not dying. Tell me that I don't have anything bad and let me go. Um, and it's kind of like, <laughs> it's be funny, me going to a doctor, I feel like I'm just holding my breath the whole time. I'm just like, can I just please be done with this? Um, a, lot, a lot of men do feel that way. And then there are a lot of men that want, like doctors assume men want it that way. So they'll treat them as such. But then there are men who are like, I am scared or something's going on with me, or I feel like you just don't respect me at all and want them to ask more questions mm -hmm. and more friendly to them. Um, so again, generally, I think that's uh, this idea that men are very like straightforward, not emotional, when a lot of them crave emotion, um, or at least at certain times. And there's, you know, we're all boxed, right? We're yeah. talking being boxed in, uh, I think that's really very much the case. And I've seen that with the doctor patient relationship even more than I anticipated because there really is a pretty even distribution of people's choices. Like the combos are all over the place. I remember people saying to me like, well, why wouldn't everyone pick what I picked? Like, uh, like analytical, I said, and um, you know, they want to make sure they look over their history, like um, in detail beforehand, that's like number one, they want the best, uh, them to have the best technology in the office. And I was like, a lot of people, that is not their priorities. I mean, maybe they might be nice things, but I'm it's- just, I just want like the highest quality covering for the table. Like, I yeah. don't like that little- <laughs> No, some people, it's amazing. Some people are like, if it doesn't look like a good office, like I feel like they have the best of the best technology yeah. in there, I don't trust them. People trust based on so many different things. Weird things, yeah. You can even relate it to like love languages mm -hmm. um, people. So, and I remember I said to this person, you pick the opposite of everything that I would pick. So there really is variations. Everybody is really different. I know it's cliche, but everybody is different. Yeah. Yeah. And we all, I mean, we're all different and we all see everything different. So it's the same situation. We not only feel differently about it, but we perceive it in a whole different way. So it's like internalized in one way and then it's interpreted in a whole other way. Right. That's really cool what you guys have created in the sense of you can create something for everyone. It's really like a customized medical experience. What's the, um, what do you think like the biggest the, the, the key to your success has been? What's been able you to dream up this idea, find a partner across the world, make this thing happen, be in an environment where you're, you know, you're either dealing with possibly some of your own health stuff or you're like kind of the only woman in a room. Um, what's enabling you to actually succeed and create all this? Well, as I guess Lisa would point out, uh, it's possible. Everything that I'm doing is possible, even if the world is fighting against me. Like we use the analogy of a mountain because uh, I do like hiking. And it really is like there is a peak that I'm going after and I'm definitely not there yet. And at one point I thought maybe I was halfway and then I slide down a bit or maybe one 
time I'm at a certain level and I'm just hanging out there for a while, but it is absolutely possible to get to that peak. And that really keeps me going. I am really the only one who decides what I can or cannot do in my life. And that doesn't mean I have control over everything that happens in my life. I think we don't have control over most of what happens to us in our life, but we can decide what we can or cannot do. And even if that's a reaction, uh, we definitely have the capability technically, it doesn't seem like this, but we technically decide how we feel in every moment, even with hormones. <laughs> and um, I mean, even with uh, mental illness, that's still true in a, in a certain light. Uh, but I don't want to speak for anyone in, in that um, with, area. <laughs> I mean, I hear, I just hear a lot about like taking responsibility, right? For ourselves, right? Yeah. Like, things yeah. happen all the time and we get to be responsible for who we're going to be about it afterwards, how we're going to act, how we're, what we're going to say, what we're going to do. Um, and even to the medical thing, I said this to somebody, one of my clients recently, we have a body sensation that's just a chemical stimulation, right? Like um, we feel a thing in our neck and then we interpret it as being tired or we feel a thing in our body and we interpret it as love or we feel a thing in our body and we interpret it as joy. And then we actually put a name to it. Love, oh, that's love or that's joy. And then we start behaving in the way that fits the thing that we just defined, which isn't actually a thing. We made, we made it all up, all the, the whole process. And yeah. I think that's what I hear you saying we can take responsibility for. Is it's true. Because there's also, there's, you know, what happens, what's real, and then there's what we make it mean. and. Mm -hmm most of what we do and feel all day long is just stuff that we, it, it's stuff, we, we create that meaning. Um, yeah. And if we take responsibility for that, even if we want to create meaning that is negative, then that's fine. And I, I mean, it's, you, you don't want it to be negative, <laughs> <laughs> but as long as you're aware of the fact that you are the one doing that, not someone else didn't make you feel sad. You made yourself feel sad. It was triggered by something someone else did. And definitely being an entrepreneur, people will put you down all the time, even if it's not directly, even if they'll say something great about their business, maybe it'll put you down because you feel like, well, I can't compete with them. I'm nothing like them. But they didn't say, you know, you're a failure. And even if someone did say I'm a failure, I get to decide whether or not that actually means I'm mm -hmm. a failure or not. Yeah, it's just their opinion. Yeah, everyone's got one. <laughs> um, do you know the author Mark Manson? Uh, he, I don't remember. I can't think of the title of his book, but I, I want to. This is his thing. He says um, there's a big difference between responsibility and fault. Like we we collapse them, and it's somebody can be at fault. Somebody runs into you on the street with their car. It's their fault. But it's your responsibility to take care of yourself. It's your responsibility to get better. It's your responsibility to go get medical care. It's even your responsibility to possibly sue them or do whatever. Ultimately, it can be their fault and your responsibility. And we often collapse those like, well, that thing that happened to me isn't my fault. But your life is your responsibility. And right. sometimes, they, sometimes it's a both, right? The person who hits you with their car could also be legally responsible. But there's, that's legally responsible, and, and what we're saying is kind of different. But 
being fully responsible for who you are in your life is sounds like a really important thing. Yeah. Yeah. As I was saying, like, you maybe can't control much of what's in your life, but you can be responsible for whatever comes your way. And I think that's really what's kept me going and stop taking shortcuts also is being responsible for what was happening because of those shortcuts and how I could move forward and really have the impact that I want to have. I also, I've really started hanging on to the word resilience uh, recently, again, thanks to Lisa. Um, I actually would like to mention something that happened to me last night. Sure. So I've been working with Lisa for like almost three years, I think. That's I'm going to have to send Lisa an invoice, by the way, for this podcast, just so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Lisa. Woo! Uh, everybody should know Lisa. <laughs> uh, she's such a light. Um, so, yes, I started working with her like three years ago, but we, we've been in a actually group coaching for the last six months. And at the beginning of any you know, group thing, you uh, say, what's your goal for the end of this, this activity or this, this group? And I said, pretty vaguely, I guess, I want to be unrecognizable. I was like, I think that means in terms of work ethic, because I feel like I'm not living up to who I should be for my business. Uh, but I just knew that something about the way I was had to be unrecognizable by the end of the program. And Lisa and I had our last one-on-one -on -one, uh, last night uh, in relation to this program, because we have one of those each month. And I was talking about something that happened earlier this week. I had a scare that something might happen to our business that could set it back shut it down and it was terrifying. And when I found this out, luckily that's not the case, just so you know. But when I found this out, I just sat in my armchair like despondent. And I didn't know what to do because I worked for so long, I didn't want this to end. And then I realized it didn't need to. I, I really thought about what's actually possible here. And even though the mountain looked so much higher and maybe I was knocked down to not the bottom, but like closer to the bottom, I could still technically climb the mountain. And so I really lived in a state of being of, of resilience. And I was talking to Lisa about this and how it was actually pretty natural. I didn't have to work that hard to feel that way. I, you know, I sat in my chair, I got really upset. And then maybe it was even later that night I started to already shift my mindset to you can do this Eva. No one has told you that this isn't possible. You can quit if you want, but you definitely don't have to, it's not over. And so I'm telling this to Lisa last night and I realized I have become unrecognizable because Eva who did shortcuts, not only would I've been out of there, like when I found this news out, I would have been out way a long time ago. Like this is hard. It's really hard. I was very naive going into it. Don't know if I would have done all this if I knew I was up against, but I have become someone who's resilient naturally. I, it doesn't mean I will be all the time, but my go-to was to talk to myself and think, wait, I can keep going. So I'm going to keep going. 
I, I uh, it really just was one of the best breakthroughs I've ever had. So that just happened last night. Uh, thanks to Lisa and everything I've experienced coaching. Thanks, thanks for sharing that. Um, I love the, I mean, just thanks for sharing like the personal story and the personal journey. It's like a perfect way to wrap up this conversation in the like becoming unrecognizable. Woo! Um, that's really cool. Thanks for just sharing your personal, the thing, the breakthrough you had and, you know, that it doesn't always go up, 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 up. Sometimes it goes up and then way down and then it comes way back up. And sometimes it's up and down, down, down before it comes back up. But it sounds like besides responsibility, resilience is, is clearly a key your success um Eva thank you for uh thanks for for creating something like Wellacopia you know it's it's not something that everybody knows about yet but it seems like with your determination and, and your passion it'll be something that we use in the future but I think that bigger than whether we're using it or not is the intention of like hey I want to connect people and I want to have people have better experiences and relationships so thanks for having that at the top of mind um and thanks for sharing your journey, the openness of your, the illnesses you have and um, the challenges that the, I like your, I love your like willingness to talk about things on here that like, that you've said that other people wouldn't have said because it might not have sounded so good, but actually in sharing your story, it's actually who you really are in the process. So well, thank you for that. I think the best way to connect with people is to be vulnerable. And a lot of people think that vulnerable just means like, sharing, oversharing, but it's being willing to show that you're not perfect yeah. and that everyone's got flaws and difficulties and um, maybe can relate or even at least relate to the emotions. So maybe I don't know what someone went through, but I can relate to that emotion. And uh, that's why I have made my you really, you really got down to exactly what my mission is in life, and that's uh, connecting people and connecting with people. So, how do people find Wellacopia? Do people like learn about it, check it out? So, I created the word. So, I own everything that is the word Wellacopia, which is good. That's W E L L A C O P I A, and that's so it's Wellacopia.com you know, our handle is Wellacopia on everything. And if anyone wants to reach out to me directly, it's Eva, E-V-A, at Wellacopia.com. Nice. Thanks again for being here and sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It, uh, I'm really glad that uh, I decided to come on this podcast because you're wonderful and this experience has been really wonderful. Thanks. Thanks for saying that. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Dream Mason podcast. I am grateful to have you here. Please support me in this podcast by subscribing on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, TuneIn, or YouTube. And leave a review on iTunes. And share this podcast with a friend. If you want more, or you're ready to play a bigger game and create more clarity, freedom, and success in your life, you can follow me on Instagram at inspirationalalex. Or you can reach out to me at thedreammason.com or even email me at alex at thedreammason.com. Remember, you are a dream mason because your dreams don't build themselves. <laughs>